Welcome to Threads of Enlightenment, your journey into personal growth. The splendor of any decision is after you've made it, all that remains to be seen are its consequences. My name is Ken Primus. I am your host. Here at Threads of Enlightenment, we talk about the principles of self-development and personal growth. By having conversation with people, who have walked through their journey of personal growth. We believe that everyone at some point in their life will have to deal with one or more of these principles to have the privilege of focusing on their self-development as humans. These principles, when applied, can help you to become the best self possible. Welcome to another episode of Threads of Enlightenment, and this is actually part two of uh, our one of our um, interviews that I've done with Victoria. She and I had uh, talked, and we had uh, the last one I spoke, we had uh, stopped um, because of time, uh, because of uh, where we were. I think we were about 57 minutes in, but I wanted to bring her back so that we can continue her story. So... I want to welcome you, Victoria. Welcome back to Threads of Enlightenment. Actually, this is my first time ever doing this, so welcome. Thank you so much for having me, and it's an honor to be your first. It is awesome. So the last one we left you were you had just given birth, and you were telling us about what you had to go through as far as the therapist giving you and uh, equipping you with all the information so that you can head home. Talk to us as to when you got home. uh, because I know you are still in the thick of things. Um, so I want you to talk about that. Uh, guys, uh, um, if you are listening, you'll know that uh, this is a story about uh, survivor and survivorship and how to, to be a survivor. And this woman has a story that is all about that. So talk to us as to when you went home and how did it unfold from there. So I wasn't expecting us to be released from the NICU that quickly. And when I say quickly, it had been three months, but she had already had close to nine operations. Her first or she had four within her first week of life. And so we have, you have to get certified to go home because of the intensity of everything. So trach certified, feeding tube certified, CPR for a trach certified, you have to go through everything. You have to room in the NICU mm-hmm. before they let you discharge. So I had asked the therapist to train me above and beyond. Like if the equipment failed, what do I do? If this failed, what do I do? So we go back. I had planned on being gone from that environment prior to our discharge. And I wasn't strong enough physically yet. And so we returned and it wasn't long after I had her hooked up to an apnea belt, which goes around her chest and hooks up to an apnea machine Mm -hmm. that allows you to monitor her heart rate um, and her stats. Then I had her on a pulse ox pro, which tells me her O2 and her, her pulse as well. So I always set them up higher than they had trained me to. So Mm -hmm. I had even more time if she started to deset. Um, We only got so much medical supplies. So when she finished her bolus of her feeding, I had unhooked her, made sure everything was good. It was a very big open concept uh, floor that we had. And I walked maybe 10 feet to the kitchen to clean it out because we had to reuse the connector. And all of a sudden, 
just like I'm talking with you, Ken, my ex looks at me and says, hey, she's blue. Just mm. like that. Just like it was get me a beer or whatever. And I don't even remember if I turned the water off. I just jetted over to her and I grabbed the phone and called 911 and immediately started working on my daughter mm. who's laying there lifeless in her little bouncer or her swinger thing. And I get on the phone with them and I said, I need you to send me an ambulance and the police. And then all of a sudden, mid-sentence, I hear this cocking noise and he's over me with a gun to my head. And I realized that if I put down that phone, I'm dead. And so is my kid. So this is long before the whole pepperoni pizza thing, you know, where the dispatchers are aware of it. And I am trying to convey to them there's something else going on. And I understand that the dispatcher probably misconstrued it as this mom's in a panic about her daughter coding. I get that. Yeah. But I was like, I need the police. I need you to get me the police and the ambulance. And she's like, I'm going to stay on the line with you. And this is what you need to do. And I said, no, I don't perform CPR on a trach kid that way because I'm using, you know, what I was trained on. And I keep saying, why are you standing over me? And I kept saying his name. And I was like, why are you standing over me? Why won't you help me? Why won't you do something? She's not breathing. And I was trying to like give little hints and they weren't getting picked up. So I said, can you step away from me and go unlock the door? Go open the door so when they get there, they can come in. And I said, you know, please don't stand over me like that. And it's going nowhere. Like it's it's not registering. So when you come home from the, the NICU, they give you letters that state you have a child on life support, basically, because yeah. she had her, uh, all of her equipment. And I had already taken it to everywhere. And so we had uh, paramedics, fire, and police show up. And as soon as they got within sight, he took the gun and threw it under the mattress. Uh, not the mattress, I'm sorry, the cushion of the couch. And he sat down and picked up his video controller and he starts playing his video game as they're wow. all running in. And... So the paramedic comes over and he's like, let me, let me have her. And, you know, and I'm just, I, I just have tunnel vision, Ken. I'm like, so just looking at it. This is all I see. And then I, someone tells me to look over and all her equipment's been turned off. Wow. So no alarms, which I hadn't thought about when he had said she had stopped breathing. Mm-hmm. I had just immediately went straight in. Yeah. I didn't even think about the alarms. So I look over and all the alarms are off and it's just like so fast. And then they're, they're scooping her up and they're like, come on, we're going, we got to go now. We go, I get in the ambulance with him, leave him there. He's obviously not going fine with me. Uh, Hours and hours later, he shows up at the children's hospital just screaming. Why would you make me come up here alone? I had to fight all this traffic. I can't believe you would leave me alone for this kid. Blah, blah, blah. And he's yelling at me. And all I see is my my daughter. I'm always in the bed with her. And I'm just dumbfounded. And he leans over and he whispers to me um, that he put his finger over her trach and occluded it so that she would stop breathing. And then he put the gun to my head because he was so angry at me for devoting myself to her and taking away my responsibility to provide everything he wanted and serve him that he wanted us both gone. And that was his intention. I know you had mentioned this earlier and it, it still horrifies me to hear this story. Yeah. I, 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 it's, it's incredible to know that uh, someone can behave that way. Um, and in that person, that is the normal that he sees. Um, and that is a scary, um, perception of life that, that individual have. And 
the selfishness that he uh, showed as to his concern versus the concern of his family is really telling as to who he is and the type of person that he is. So you're in the hospital, um, your visitor came and uh, showing who he truly is. Um, how long were you guys there um, from this incident in the hospital? Almost another three months. Three months? Wow. Just shy of it. Wow. And I have to tell you, Ken, the hospital was phenomenal. Um, they put us in a, a room that had two doors, mm-hmm. which is so heartbreaking because they did this like it was just second nature. And I found out that this happens a lot. Wow. And so they had the name on the door as a boy's name. Um, they put on there that you had to be in complete like gown, mask, yeah. and gloves to go in. Um, they had us up on one of the units that was locked down. Um, then they had a guard sitting outside the door. Security was all around. They had us pictured every entrance, parking lot, everywhere. And they, I, I was just dumbfounded. And they even taught me, if we find out he's in the building, we're going to take you and, and your daughter, and we're going to move you out of the back door mm-hmm. and take you around the corner. Just, but he, I mean, it's not like our name was there. We kept the window closed, or the window blind closed, and the door closed. And they said, we, we've done this. We know what we're doing. And it was just, it was a relief, but it was so heart-wrenching to know that this is something they go through all the time. Yeah, it is. It is, um, And I'm not sure uh, if you had a chance to talk to them because you and I had talked about, did he uh, suffer any type of uh, legal, um, did the, um, uh, the legal apparatus that is designed to protect someone like you, um, uh, the military piece is stunning to me, but it is not uncommon to to hear your story from the military side. Um, and we read uh, uh, incident through the papers, also as to the behavior of the military when it comes to the abuse and the covering up of the abuse yes. within that um, uh, uh, organization, that the damages that it does to um, women and society as a whole, because... Uh, uh, you're still having someone uh, with that behavior walking the streets and how would that person interact with another uh, woman and uh, also maybe someone else. So it's really a dangerous game that is being done. And I hope at some point in time that uh, the entity that is set up for that, which is Congress, to be able to look into the behavior of the military and maybe do something. And I know that that's another thing that, um, uh, you know, they don't do anything either. So anyway, let's get back to you guys are uh, out your, you know, three months after the three months period and you're coming out um, and you're home now. What did you do at that point in time? Did you stay in your surroundings or did you uh, find a way to get out from under that um, uh, uh, torture, as they say? We were already out by the time You're out? she was discharged, yes. Okay. And um, did I know they, they put a lot of stuff into your protection as to where you live and all that type of stuff so that um, that individual is not, doesn't have access to you. So here you are. You're out. How did you begin to talk to us? Give us some insight, Victoria, into your life at this point in time. How did you begin to navigate to even put a direction as to this is the steps that I'm going to take to walk, to continue walking. How did you even do that? I didn't have any guidance. 
I, I did this on my own. Um, I literally became that incredibly tigerous mom that was like, you're not getting near my kid. Um, before I had already done a TPO, I've already uh, went in that route and they told the, the judge told him that he could see her uh, with supervised visitation of a law enforcement officer in the, in the room mm-hmm. um, for a set amount of time and only for a few days. And it, and I, I objected with everything I had, but we didn't have a doctor there. And he was telling them that she was dying and he didn't want to see her. He wanted me. I was well aware of that. Yeah. So um, he had said that. And then I found out he took a life insurance policy out on her and wow. that just blew my mind. And so once he arrived the first time he tried to bring his girlfriend in and I was not having it. I had full custody at at that point. I had all decision-making rights at that point and I wasn't allowing the girlfriend in. It was just not going to, are you serious? So then put her in the waiting room and then he says, well, why don't we go for a talk? Okay. Because if he's not in the room with her, Mm -hmm. then he can't hurt her. And he openly like just was, you know, why can't you come home and make this right? I'm like, what's your girlfriend going to say? You know, the one out there. <laughs> and I told him I'm not going anywhere in a hallway that is like not in the public eye. It's going to be the main hall. I'm not going anywhere with him. That would be a room with a closed door. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he said, I want you to let me go in the room and bathe her. And I said, you're out of your mind. It's oh. not going to happen. So the last visit, he bowed up at me because I said, it's time to go out. You know, you got to go. And he bowed up at me and inside I felt sick and nauseous and everything. But Ken, I needed him to know that I was strong. I was going to fight back now. I'm not pregnant. He's not getting in there. And he was like, can't you extend my stay? And I was like, no, time to go. You're gone. And then he bowed up at me and I said, okay. I said, I won't hit you first. Not going to do it. But if you hit me, I have the right to defend myself. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and I have the right to defend my child, but I will not hit you first. And so he bowed up, made a fist. And I said, it's just one more broken hand. It's one more broken face, you know, and that's it. And I said, but you know what? Then it's my turn and you will come out of this in cuffs. I promise you. And he realized I wasn't kidding yeah. and he left. So I went after and term- got the rights terminated. There are some incredibly disgusting things that the guardian at Lightham found out about him that I had no idea about yeah. none. Um, that really just made me sick. And he had been married before um, multiple times and he abused both of the others. And one of them defended herself And the scars I saw on him. He had told me were battle wounds from mm-hmm. overseas and that wasn't the case. Wow. So um, I, I went after the rights being terminated um, and I got it. We, we got the rights terminated. So oh. he couldn't be anywhere around her. We got permanent restraining orders uh, for her and I. And um, we've been fighting battles ever since of surgical battles and healing and things of that nature. And I know without a questionable doubt, it was our faith that kept us here. No question. Yeah. Victoria, I wanted to talk to some of the um, injuries that you, sustained, you, you you got out of this situation because I know there are lots of women that are in a situation like that. Uh, it's a common thing, believe it or not. And the, the, uh, with the onset of, of the pandemic, we saw a rise within domestic violence. Why? Because those guys were uh, trapped in the house and their true behavior began to uh, be exposed. 
is no longer running to the house to run into the work and uh, e- alleviating some. And so um, talk to some of those things and encourage a woman right here because uh, um, there are many reasons that a woman stay and, um, you know, uh, but the uh, core of them, lots of it is fear and yes. uh, they're looking at how am I going to survive outside and all of those things. But the coreness of it all is fear. Um, and retaliation, can, yeah. Can you talk to them um, as to some of the injuries you received? And I know you, you've got so many um, surgeries as a result. And how did you, I mean, you overcame your fear and you did it. Uh, uh, talk to them right here uh, and give them some advice as to what they would need to hear from someone like you who have gone through versus hearing something from me. So how would you frame your words as you give them those advice? Sure. Um, and I thank you for allowing me to do this. Uh, I know that you have the most amazing listeners. And so I'm, I'm going to just beg them for a minute to really tune in and, and hear this because they are worth it. They are beautiful individuals. They have the right to have a life. They have the right to survive and thrive in their life. Mm-hmm. They have a beautiful light within them and it hasn't gone away. It, it's still in there. It might be flickering a little dim, but it's still in there and we will get that light back shining. I have, I, I'm literally like the Terminator on the left side. I'm all metal. If you, for those who can't see, Ken can see, I have scars on both sides of my neck. I had my mandula and my mandibular um, jaws replaced. All of this is titanium all here. I'm, I'm still swollen because I just had it. It's from here. You can actually feel it in here all the way down. is all metal in my face wow. um, and screws and plates and bars and, and everything. It was an extremely long surgery. They did. Um, and then I have hearing aids because my eardrums were ruptured. I have a plate in the back. Um, I have a um, titanium shoulder. If you look at my hand, um, it's not able to move. I'm paralyzed. You can see the scars on my fingers. Yeah. Uh, these are all pins and screws. Mm-hmm. This is a plate. Um, and if you look, you can see I have a scar from here yeah. and it goes all the way up. I didn't have any tattoos until I was 30. And my tattoos are all faith-based because I really never, and I, I don't have any problem with tattoos, obviously, but I didn't want to see every day what he put on me. It was yeah. in his right to put it on me. So I covered them up with my journey. Um, like when I had to go into surgery, some people never understood that you couldn't wear your jewelry. So I couldn't wear my cross. So I had it tattooed on me yeah. and that way my faith is there. And I have all different sorts of things on me that helped me through this journey. So when I talk to women, I ask them to bring in their family members or other people who might not be as supportive as they want to be or need to be. And I talk to them and it's a very intimate conversation about the fact that there are so many red flags that are not seen, that are overlooked. And then when you are in this environment, unless you have a secured escape plan, you're going to go back. The average woman goes back seven times and it's because they aren't secured in their escape. They don't have everything together. They feel like they're not worth it. They feel like they don't deserve happiness because that's what you hear every day. That's what you start to believe. And when I have a woman say that to me, I look at them and I just say, you might not think you're worth that at this point in time. You are. Mm -hmm. So let's take it one step further. Do you have children? Yes. Okay. Would you like your daughter 
to go and get in a relationship like this because this is what she's seeing is okay for her mom to go through. Yeah. This is what she is seeing is an acceptable way of life. And this is how she's going to grow up because this is coming from the person who's supposed to be guiding her on the right and wrongs of life. If you have a son, are you okay that he is learning from whatever male figure, husband, stepfather, boyfriend, that this is how you treat a woman, his sister, his girlfriend, his his mother, whoever it is down the road, they're learning that this behavior is acceptable. So you might not think you're worth it at this moment, even though you are, I know you believe your kids are. Mm -hmm. So let's get them out. I talk about and teach how if you know, because we know when it's about to get really bad, Mm -hmm. then have teach the kids when he's not around or she's not around to go on the complete opposite side of the house of wherever you are when it's happening. And do not come looking for mom or dad, whoever is, is in this until it's over. If they can and they're of age, go get a neighbor. Go tell the neighbor what's going on. Yeah. Stay away from the environment. Because when it gives that intense kin and it becomes confrontational physically and one of the children come in and try to save their mom, it's not unlikely that the abuser is going to go and attack the kid. Mm-hmm. They could push the child. They could do whatever, because it's so intense at that moment. And those are the extremely dangerous moments. So we go and put the child somewhere else. I also tell the women to try and back away into an area that's a little safer, if at all possible. Do not be near stairs because he'll throw you down the stairs if he has you at at that place. Try to stay away from the kitchen because you have the knives, you have the pots and pans, you have all sorts of things, cabinet doors, refrigerator doors. I've had them all smacked in my face. So try to stay away from that. If you have a room in your home, that's kind of a, you know, where you could be in the middle of the room where not a lot is all the way around, try and go there because there's less damage that can happen because he can't pick up certain things and use them as a weapon. Um, I even got rid of all of my knives. I got rid of my pots and pans that were those really cast iron heavy ones. Mm-hmm. And of course I still had to cook, but I, I only use the lighter ones. Yeah. Um, I tried to do things little by little so that, you know, there was no way he would really detect it because he didn't cook anyway. Yeah. But you have to have a secure plan in place. And if you have a secure plan in place, then you can get out. But what I also say to people is those individuals that are saying you deserve it because you stayed you and that, that's making it where we do go back. Yeah. And that's because we don't have that support. So that's when I encourage the victim survivors to bring those people with them because the reason they keep returning is because they don't have a support system. Yeah. So instead of criticizing and humiliating us at our worst, why don't you support us and be a reason to help us get to back to our best? Yeah. And for the people that say, I would never let this happen to me. Okay, let's take that for a second. Nobody here signed up, raised their hand and said, I want to be my boyfriend or husband's punching ground. I'm signing up for that job. Nobody did. So I want the individuals that say, well, they deserved it. They stayed or I would never let that happen to me. Okay, well, I want you to imagine your worst day you've had of your life. The very worst. Now, the people you love that support you on a daily basis, hound you and humiliate you and just belittle you to the worst degree on your worst day of your life. How are you going to feel? Because that's about a 10th of what we're experiencing. So think of it that way. And I tell the the victims who are survivors, they're so strong. They have survived 100% of their worst days. Mm -hmm. No matter how bad it got, they survived. They're here. So they need to hold on to that strength and realize they are stronger than they think. 
because they are. And that really will resonate within them and make them realize, you know, that's true. I have survived my worst days and you're here. And if you're here to listen, even if your listeners are listening to this podcast, I'm so proud of them, Ken, because they're taking the first step, whether they realize it consciously or not, subconsciously, they're realizing I'm making a first move to get free. I'm making a first move to get on and be happy in life because that's what life's about. I was asked how to analogize my life as as a victim of abuse. And I said, I felt like an asthmatic living in a smoker's den that was just suffocating me in hell. That's what it was like. It was so exhausting and painful. You have to, you know, conform to their mood. You have to walk on eggshells. Even if the best day for, you know, you do everything that they say to do, somebody cut him off. Somebody got him mad. He lost his video game. Whatever the thing is, he's still going to take it out and retaliate on you. It's not us. It is not us. Um, I want you to talk to me about, um, about you. What, who, was your um, your way of escape, and then we will go to your daughter, and um, from that relationship with your daughter, how it spring give birth to other um, parts of your life. Who was your person that you went to for help? Uh, my love of my life from before I married this monster. Mm-hmm. I called him for help first. And how how did that? How did you initiate that? And and what happened? Um, I made a phone call to him and he was furious to say the least. I called from my office because everything I did on my cell phone, he, he found out and watched and checked on. And he asked me to come meet him um, over that weekend. And I was petrified to do it. So I went rogue again because mm-hmm. I was just too afraid. At that point, I was still pregnant. Uh, after I had given birth, I had been trying to contact my biological parents and to no avail. They finally did meet her um, three months in and we never had the healthiest relationship. And I am so grateful and thankful for the fact that they did allow us to come back and and be at their home, which was Mm -hmm. hard as a woman, but we went and moved back um, to their house. That's awesome. And so once you, you, they were able to go back there and began to put your life together. Um, Let's focus on you now. And how did you um, circle back and begin to mend the uh, love of self? How did you manage through that as you now began to process um, all of uh, through the drama and the trauma and all of these things, this darkness that you were a part of? How did you begin to navigate there, Victoria? What were those stories that you had to overcome that uh, he had implanted in you? that you had to change and and began to uh, um, create this new life. Everybody handles it differently. I, I really believe that. I, I still believed at that point that I was worthless. I was never going to love again. I didn't love him. I was never in love with him. Um, I love the charismatic qualities he portrayed. But can my issue was that I looked at my daughter who was hooked up to a, a CPAP, which was a breathing machine hooked over her trach, uh, heated trait collar. She had 18 pieces of equipment in her room. Um, we had 15 doctors and therapist appointment a week. And I had to take literally like 10 pieces of equipment everywhere I went. And I literally looked over at her when she was sleeping. I was still just yelling into my laptop and venting and writing. And, and I, I just looked at her and said, what is wrong with me? How dare I 
just be willowing in self-pity while she is fighting so hard for me. She doesn't deserve that mom. Mm -hmm. She deserves that tigerous mom who is going to stop at nothing and be that pit bull and fight for her. And that's what she's going to get because my ex doesn't have that kind of power over me anymore. He's not that he's not God. He's not going to hold that power over me anymore. I'm done. Yeah. And I literally put my inner self on the back burner and focused on her and my uh, recovery and our independence. And then I became that tigering mom. I went after the termination of rights, the divorce. I took on the military, um, which I have to be careful when I talk about because I signed an NDA. Um, Mm -hmm. But I stopped at nothing to make sure that we were safe and protected. And as her and I overcame, like she would have surgery, I would be right there with her. I never left her side. I gave up my career. I learned any and everything I possibly could. I started doing classes and things like that online to learn how to better her because she wasn't just going to survive. She was going to thrive. She yeah. was going to overcome everything. And she has. Mm-hmm. And so I, I had an opportunity to meet her and I see the beauty <laughs> that is in both. Um, and uh, here you are, you're uh, become... Uh, the terminology came to mind, the mama bear, where you are protecting and you're moving. Um, uh, how did you begin to heal you, Victoria? The Victoria, the woman, the mother, how did she begin to heal? I had it all in faith. I knew um, I spent a lot of time talking mm-hmm. there um, that I told him, I know I have a purpose here. I know he kept me here for a reason because we defied every odd. Like I still... I'm in complete awe of how we're both here. I I don't even understand because I remember how bad it got. And I know, and I thank him all the time for allowing us to be his children, his children and and servants. And for him being our father and savior, because we're here for a purpose. And we walk that journey together as mother and daughter. We live to serve our purpose. And he gave me that strength. So how dare I let him down after he's kept her and I here together? So I really spent a lot of my time praying and thinking and internalizing of what needed to be. Um, it took a very long time. I'm not 100%. I know that. Um, but you met my daughter. She's beautiful. She's yeah. got a heart of gold. She is uh, so resilient. I literally started to find comfort when I started helping special needs families, when I started helping the special needs children because they're so full of light and love. Mm-hmm. And to help that really was a gift to me, even though I was trying to pay it forward, it was a gift to me. Yeah. And just um, going through the process of, you know, hearing constantly every day, you're not worth it. You're not good enough. You'll never amount to anything. And then all of a sudden realizing I got your rights terminated. That's like one in a hundred thousand get that done because (laughs) they want the other person to be held accountable. I went after the military and not, and you know, I hate to say it because our, our system here is so screwed up. I don't agree with it at all. How the victim is put on um, the interrogation and the abusers just kind of swept to the side. Mm-hmm. Our laws for it. I mean, if it's a, a cut and dry case, I don't understand why some of those people are walking around right now. They should be incarcerated to say the least. And uh, I, everything I took on was the biggest struggle ever. And I trusted no one to help me but me when it came to the preparation of legal documents uh, because of my background. And I literally just said, that's it. Let's go. We're going to do it. And we did. And we just rolled with it. And the accomplishments of success provided me also additional inner strength along the way. 
I want you to talk to them now about uh, how you describe him, the, the love of your life. And um, how did he enter in after all of this? And how did he assist with your growth and the growth of your, your daughter? Well, he did go with me to court. Um, everybody has those seven, eight wonders of the world. He went with me to court in his uniform and he took me to the side of the courtroom and he said, don't you dare let him see you upset. You hold it together. Go in there. When you get done, if you need to get sick or whatever, I'm right here. Show him that tough woman I knew mm-hmm. from way back when. I'm not used to this. So you go in there and be the old you, even if you have to fake it for whatever. And I went in there and then one of the wonders I never figured out is that my ex got up to go to the restroom prior to calendar call and the love of my life went and followed him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I can't go in the men's restroom. Are you serious? <laughs> and I wanted to know so badly what happened in there. And I, I'm watching the doors open and I have no, it was several minutes. Uh, my ex returns and he has this total like white face look, you know, just ghost like. And then he comes in, my love of my life walks in um, and we have not gotten back together during this entire period. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like, what happened? And he's like, mm-mm. I'm like, don't, mm -mm, mm -mm." (laughs) I need to know. And he's like, some things don't need to be said. And so he went to court. He actually also uh, went on and put on civilian clothes and went to the hospital and tried to get in as my abuser to see how tight security really was. Wow. Uh, And then let them know he was an officer and that this really needed to be locked down. And that meant so much to me because I didn't even know he did it. He saw her in the hospital and he just cried. He blamed himself for this for the longest time uh, because we had broken up and he and I stayed in contact over all the years. Um, He was full of guilt that this was his fault, even though I explained to him it wasn't. And um, now I'm happy to say that we are married and he's adopting my daughter. Wow. That's congratulations. I know that's a, a beautiful story to hear. Now I want you to pivot and talk to us about, the um the for lack of a better word i would call that a ministry that you have as a result of um your daughter and how you both are a um instrumental part of this uh ministry uh are um, a part that was given birth from your journey and how you are now able to reciprocate uh, all of your knowledge all of your wisdom all of your your love, all of your empathy, all that you are you, that you can now release into uh, folks that are uh, sitting in your position that you were uh, a while back. Talk to us about how that came about and um, how it's doing. Uh, I was asked by the chief doctor of one of my daughter's teams to advocate because when we were sitting there and all we ever did was at appointments, um, I would always talk to the family and I was always interacting with the kids. These kids are beautiful and they just got to me. And, and so the doctor said, you're doing an injustice. You really need to work with these families. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, what? And he said, you need to be advocating. So I started advocating and I then su- I started a support group and I said, it's a contagious smile because every smile tells a story. Yeah. It doesn't matter. And it's a contagious thing. It's like, if you yawn, everybody yawns. If you smile, people are going to smile. Yeah. You can you know, make something better than what it is. And so I started working that way. And then I had someone say to me, didn't you survive domestic violence? And I said, I I did. 
because people are always like, why are you like healing from some surgery every time I see you? And I explained it. Um, obviously I never went into detail like this, mm-hmm. but, um, and she was like, well, my sister's done it. And I said, well, let me talk to her. And I started talking with her and then she started listening and then she would call me, you know, sp- sporadically and say, this is what I'm doing. And I'm like, well, when you're really ready and you know, it's time to go, let's help build an escape plan and get you out. And so she got with me and we put together an escape plan and she is thriving wow. now. She is a nurse um, and she's done amazing. And so when I realized that it was like, I got it, I got yeah. it. I, said, yeah. I got it. So, so I kept doing that more and more. I can take a smile, started growing more and more. Um, every year, my daughter started at age four. I always interpret for her because she's hard to understand for most people. Um, and I, she went to Santa and said, I want to give kids like me a Christmas. And Santa was bawling. He was like all welted up. And, um, he, he said, what? And, and she's like, I want to give kids like me a Christmas. So immediately we put on a fundraiser. I think our lowest year was 250 ish toys and our best was 400. And wow. so we, get the little red wagons and we would go to the chronic facilities because uh, all the kids hospitals are taken care of. And she would go and we, like her therapist feeding occupational speech, they would all go with us. And all of us are in our little Santa hats and we have the cutest pictures of it. And every year she would go and pass out toys and say, uh, uh, for instance, Ken, you were in the room and you were the patient. And she would say, Hey, I want you to have a gift and you pick it out. Well, she would let you. And then if your sister or brother was in the room, she would say, are you Ken's sister? And I was like, I think that's Ken's sister. Cause mm-hmm. I learned how to do it to make her not feel self-conscious about it. And she'd say, well, I have a memory problem. And he asked me to get this gift for you. And I didn't put a, t- a name on it or a tag on it. And I forgot. <laughs> and it's my fault. And she's like, so can you come pick up your gift from your brother? And she included them. And mm-hmm. I said, well, why do you do that? And she says, because so many times the families focus on us and forget about the other kids. Yeah. yeah. And that just resonated. That's so mature. And that's such an old soul. Yeah. And so we would give the brothers and sisters um, presents as well. And every year we would say, is there one you want? Nope. No, I got what I want. This is my wish. And we've done it every year. And now we've also been doing women's shelters, um, trying to help give them what they need, especially during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. She said to me last year, Ken, and it was one of the most amazing proud moments. Not that she's not challenged me to have plenty of them because she always gives them to me. Uh, we did a shelter of domestic violence. We kind of adopted one. And she said, um, I had arranged for pizza to be delivered Christmas mm-hmm. Eve for everybody in the shelter. And she said, I don't know how much money I have saved. And I said, well, what, what are you talking about? And she goes, well, I don't know how much I have. And she goes, can we go to the cookie place? And I said, oh, okay. And she can't eat that. So mm-hmm. I'm like, well, what, what are we doing? And we go and she's like, I want to order big cookies for this place so the kids can decorate yeah. and do something fun for Christmas. So because they live on cots, they don't have anything. And she's like, I want to do this one for Christmas. And I don't know if I have enough money. And so I just told her she had plenty. She, she had enough. And this was her idea. And so we made sure they had pizza and cookies um, for Christmas at the wow. shelters as well. So, I mean, she's incredibly giving. She's incredibly. That is awesome. Awesome. I mean, such a powerful story that is housed in both of you and uh, the effect that you guys are going to make on the lives of many um, that are in your space. And uh, 
I am sending out a call to everyone that is listening to this podcast that um, uh, you guys get in touch with Victoria and uh, try to support her uh, financially because it takes finances to do what they're doing for Christmas. So uh, her and her daughter um, does these things and um, it comes out of their money. So all of you that are listening, um, get in touch with uh, Victoria and just ask her how uh, that you guys can contribute and make those contributions uh, on behalf of uh, Threads of Enlightenment so that they can make the holidays and whatever they feel that they want to do that is available for them to do that because we could, as we're listening to their story, we can see that powerful effect that is in their heart and in their spirit. And that is a giver and a lover of other people. And uh, we are excited about that. Uh, Victoria, I want to thank you for coming. There's so much. So let's continue now about, um, I'm saying thank you for coming because you're, you have um, posited something in me uh, that uh, um, from the last conversation and this conversation to I have this urgency now that I feel that I want to have a conversation, a deeper conversation with my father to see how we can be of assistance to, to you and um, your vision. So I definitely are going to look into that. But um, that's why I say I wanted to thank you for coming on. So talk to me now. You are doing all of these things. You're happily married. I mean, you got your, you got your, 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 your man. Got my man. <laughs> you got, you got your daughter. You got your businesses. You're the CEO, big wig now, and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> it's just a title, Ken. I'm not a title person. Just... Uh, and you're putting all these things and you're making an impact in families and society. Um, talk to me because I tell people that when this event happens, and this event is when we are um, engaging with someone who's going through, as they say, and when from our conversation that they get it and then they take our advice and uh, grow as an individual, and in your case, uh, you talk about someone who's able to escape from their um, captor. Um, so talk to us about how does that make you feel, and give me an example of one of those times, and um, I know they encourage us to keep going. Talk to us about one of those experiences. I have to tell you that it was probably when I went to court for the termination of rights because uh, it was a closed courtroom because it was involving a minor. Mm -hmm. And they brought us in. And the judge, who wasn't very female friendly in regards to the fact that he, he remember, this is a small military town. Like he kind of leaned more towards the attaboy kind of mentality. Yeah. And so when I asked for the permanent restraining order, I said, at this time, your honor, I would like to make a statement. And he said, okay, fine. And I said, I want to put it on court record that I will never seek him out. I will never go to his place of employment. I will never go to his residence. I will never go looking to find him, to go find him and go see him. And I said, but if he violates the order, if you grant it, then I have the right to stop the threat and I have the right to defend myself and my daughter being that we're both disabled because of him. Yeah. And he looks over and he says, okay, do you understand what that means? And he's like, yeah, whatever. And he's like, no, do you understand what that means? 
And he goes, this is not a criminal court. This is a civilian court. And, you know, what happened when you hit her? And he goes, well, I'd hit her. And if she cried, I'd hit her again. And so he said, if you ever became an alcoholic and you want to be even more intoxicated, you know, you have to drink more. So it's kind of like you hit her, but then you had to hit her again to make her not cry. So you've trained her on you. You've trained her on you. And he said, what she's saying is, is that she'll never go after you. You don't have to worry about watching your back. And he goes, I believe her. And I said, your honor, I was here. I've gone through all this so I could have a life with my daughter, my daughter, not his, my daughter as not his child. And he said, you need to realize that if you are dumb enough to violate these orders that I'm granting and you attack her, she has the right to defend herself at all costs. And he just kind of stood there for a minute (laughs) and he looks over at me and I just give him this look and the judge stopped and he goes, I need you to take a moment. And drink this in because this should be your first step of healing is that's fear. Mm. If you look at him, he's afraid. Mm -hmm. And he goes, I'm going to just stop for a minute and let you use that as one of your stepping stones. And I did. And I was like, wow, because I saw it in his face and I had never seen it before. And I realized, hmm. You know, it, it depends on what you do with the stones that are thrown at you. Yeah. Like, do you let them hit you or do you use them mm-hmm. to build a foundation to go forward? Yeah. And that's what I've done. Excellent. Victor, I want to thank you for coming to Threads of Enlightenment. This has been uh, really a powerful testimony of someone's journey uh, from uh, where you are, where you were to where you are today. And um, I have seen and heard many testimonies. But this is powerful. And I want to thank you so much for coming to Threads of Enlightenment. Thank you for having me. And thank you so much to your listeners. Please reach out to me. I will be there for you. Thank you. Thank you. Everyone who's listening to this broadcast, we hope to continually help you to learn how to embrace moments of darkness because it is in the darkness that we learn how to develop and use our abilities to truly see those parts of ourselves often invisible to us in the light. It becomes your responsibility to navigate through all of your trial to find out who you truly are and begin your journey to loving yourself, which is possibly one of the most difficult things you will ever do in your life. To love yourself and to find the real you, but always remember to enjoy the journey. Thank you for coming by. Please subscribe. And if you can support us financially, we deeply appreciate it. Until next time, invite your family, friends, neighbors, anyone that you can. You can hear us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Music, iHeartRadio, CastBox, Overcast, and many more.